I don't know about you, but I have some specific moments in my life where I felt like I experienced the presence of God in a dramatic way. Like I felt like something was happening that was otherworldly. Do you guys have experiences like that? Have you, ever, have you ever had this moment where it felt like heaven broke through to earth and suddenly the holy moment God was with you? People have these experiences all the time. For me, one of the big ones was me taking a backpacking trip with a bunch of the pastors and leaders at one chapel through something called the Wemenuchi Wilderness in the southern Colorado mountains. And we went for eight days with 45 pounds on our backs, walked about 45 miles off trail. I didn't think I could ever do it, but I remember coming up over this ridge and into something called the Chicago Basin. It was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen, like live up close and personal. And I remember it's this huge bowl with some water and mountains shooting up around it. And we spent the night there and it was like, presence of God was there in a way that it's not sometimes when I'm just doing the dishes. Another time when the presence of God seemed like it broke into my life was during the birth of all five of my children. Yes, five of my children. My wife is pretty awesome. You ought to give her a hand. She was pregnant five times. She had five babies and she didn't cry or nothing. Sorry. Each moment that those babies came into this world, I sat there, I saw them, and cried my eyes out. Just talking about it like brings, brings the emotional component back. But it was like God himself right there in that room. The presence of God, something holy was happening to me. Something holy was happening in that room room. I remember a couple of more moments. One sticks out to me. I was a teenager and I was working at Wendy's. Yes, I worked at Wendy's for like almost four years. I became the assistant manager, more like the assistant to the manager, but it was, it was, it was nonetheless, I had a pin. And I, and, and, and I remember being on a break in the break room, and in that break room, I was, I was talking to a young man named Christopher. He was like one year older than me, but at 16, that's a lot. And, uh, and, and he was a senior, and I was about to go become a, a sophomore, and, um, and we were talking about God, and he was so curious. And I was kind of known as the pastor's kid because we had a church one block from Wendy's, and, and you know, I was that kid. You know? And so, so we started talking, and I started sharing with him the message of the gospel, the truth of how much he's loved by God and what Jesus did for him. And it was like, the presence of God in that break room. And I promise some bad stuff had happened in that break room before I got there to share that message. One more, one more story. I was... <laughs> I was much older now, I was a pastor, and I took a 
bunch of men to something called Promise Keepers. And you guys, some of you remember Promise Keepers. It was like a gathering of men in giant stadiums worshiping God together. And it was something we don't see enough of. But I remember standing in that stadium about halfway up and men everywhere, all around, filled in this stadium, lifting up worship to God, lifting their hands, some, many of them crying, worshiping God. It was an incredible moment. I sensed the presence of God. Now, I think these moments are so powerful. It's so important for us to identify these kind of moments. I think sometimes you come to church and you have that kind of moment. Sometimes you, you have these moments where heaven breaks in and you're more aware of it than you are at other times. But here's the message of today. Today's message, we're gonna talk about how God's presence actually lives with you and in you. And how do we cultivate an awareness that he's here all the time and it's not just moments where we break in and feel something, but we actually have a conviction and a faith and an understanding that God is living in us and, and, and with us. The name of our series is Numa, of course, and it comes from the Greek word for spirit. Everybody say spirit. And, it, and that, that word means both breath or wind and we get it from a conversation Jesus had with a religious leader named Nicodemus in John 3. I'm gonna read it real quick. It says, humans can produce, reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. Don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the spirit. What Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is, this is like super mysterious, but it happens. Something happens on the inside of a person and suddenly the spirit of God is awakening a person and they are born again. Jesus is saying that the Holy Spirit is the very breath and wind of God that works in our lives, that moves in and through our lives. That's what he's saying here. We can see this all the way back to the beginning, all the way back to Genesis chapter two, verse seven. It says, then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed, everybody say breathed, right? Breath or wind, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now here the breath of life means the spirit of God. He became a living being, the spirit of life. That's what the Holy Spirit is. Most of us see this creation of Adam and we see God breathing into his nostrils like he's giving him CPR. He's not giving him CPR. He's actually making him come alive. How do I know that? Well, just a few verses later, Adam and Eve eat of the forbidden fruit that they are told not to eat of, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. They took for themselves the, the ability to decide what's right and wrong. And they ate it and suddenly they felt shame and they felt, they felt naked and they, they started to violate each other and blame each other and victimize each other and that continued in their kids and it was a mess. Now, interestingly enough, God had told them they would die if they eat from that tree. And they did die, but they died spiritually. They were still breathing, but they were walking around like dead people. 
They were still breathing, but they were walking around without the spirit of life inside them, which is why we've been saying over this series, humans were never intended to live without the Holy Spirit. And when you don't have that spirit of life inside you, you try to find something in life that will make it, make you feel alive, which is why people try all kinds of crazy things. That's why they, they choose massive adventures so they can try to feel alive inside, or they're all into their career just trying to prove that they're somebody. You see, but they're really just dead people walking around. And so it's only the Holy Spirit here that, distinguishes you and me from everybody in the rest of the world because you have life inside you that others don't have. That's the idea of becoming a Christian and these experiences and encounters are moments when we realize that the the holy is among us but it's so much more personal than this. It's so much more personal. Without the presence of the Holy Spirit working personally in our lives, we just become a ritualistic community. We just show up here and church becomes kind of a social club. But if we believe that the spirit of life is living in us and he's living and breathing through us, there's something else that's going on. There's something much more powerful and much more mysterious and much more personal than a social club. Listen, God has always wanted his presence shared with you and me. He's always wanted to share his presence with us. God was determined to live with us. That's what the Garden of Eden was all about, right? He was living with us. It was his original design, original design, and then it got all messed up with sin and chaos and disorder and the world spiraled out of control quickly. You can read about all that in Genesis. But then Jesus comes along and he says this in John 14, 16. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another, what does it say? Say it out loud. Helper? Who's a helper? Who's a helper? Another helper who will be with you Forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I love this. When you think about it, Jesus is about to go away and he's saying, I'm gonna send someone else to help you. Where did Jesus go? Like he's going away, but where is he going? Peter describes where Jesus is to all the people in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. Just just a few short months later, the day when the Holy Spirit was poured out in all of these people, Peter gets up and he preaches. In Acts 2.33, he says, Now he, Jesus, is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand, and the Father, as he had promised, gave him the Holy Spirit to pour out upon us just as you see and hear today. Side note, Jesus is where? At the right hand of the Father. But strangely enough, how was Jesus raised from the dead when when he died on the cross? He was raised from the dead by the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of life came into him and raised him up. That's what the scriptures teach. 
And he received his glorified body. And if you read some of the post-resurrection stories, Jesus is walking around, he's appearing, he's disappearing, he's got walking through walls, and then he's eating fish. Like a normal dude. Like he had a body, but it was a resurrected body. The same body you and I are gonna have. So it makes sense then, if Jesus is only in kind of one place at a time, how do we function without him? That's what the disciples were thinking. They're saying, how do we function without Jesus? This is not good that Jesus is going away. I mean, he's got all the miracles. He's got all the stuff. How are we, what are we gonna do? How are we gonna do this? And he sends a helper to live with us, to be with us. If you think about it, you and I have a relationship with Jesus. How do we have that relationship? We have that relationship with Jesus by the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual dynamic that's very personal. Don't be confused. When we say, let Jesus come into your heart, Jesus doesn't shrink down into a little mini icon, and he's just such a cute little pet inside your heart. It's so nice. No, the Jesus I know has eyes of fire and power beyond measure. The Bible says he holds all of creation together. Jesus himself is over all and he lives in authority over this planet. Even though we see the chaos and all the stuff going on, he has a plan and he has a purpose and he's working it out. And he's working it out with you and me. And he engages with us by the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the one who is God's presence here on the earth. If Jesus is at the right hand of the Father, what is God's presence? God's presence is here on the earth by the Holy Spirit. That sense of God's nearness, what is it? That's the Holy Spirit. The experience you have when we're all worshiping together, that's the Holy Spirit. That little nudge you sense when you should call a friend to encourage them. That's the Holy Spirit. That little voice that's speaking to you to go this way or that way or do this thing or warning us or convicting us. That's the Holy Spirit. Because here's what Paul said. He said, do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit? Who is in you, whom you have received from God. You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your Bodies. So you're carrying around the creator of the universe inside of you. This is the little known secret. Like, like we can talk about having Jesus in your heart, but that's not the same as realizing that the creator of all things is interacting with you on a daily basis. Connecting with you to heal your hurts to help you see his work in you. The Holy Spirit is the personal presence of God in your life. The Holy Spirit is the source of two things that I wanna share with you. He is a personal presence in your life and he has, I think he does many things, but there are two significant things that he helps us with and that is great personal freedom and transcendent personal peace. Let's talk about the first one. Number one, great personal freedom. 
great personal freedom. John 8, 31 and 32, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Man, a bunch of you, we all ought to just, all of us, we ought to, we ought to write that verse down and put it on our mirror for the next uh, little while. If you hold to my teaching, then you're my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will what? It will set you free. Jesus wants us to know the truth, but freedom doesn't come from facts. Everybody thinks that freedom comes from facts. Just look on your Facebook page. Everybody thinks that freedom comes from facts. It doesn't. It comes from believing, trusting, embracing, and surrendering to a relationship with God. As Jesus indicates here, the real struggle, the real struggle that we all have, that anybody has, is holding to his teaching. Holding on to his teaching. Hello? That's why he sent a helper. Because <laughs> we have trouble holding on to his teaching. He sent a helper, an advocate, oh, one who is a counselor. In a very real sense, freedom comes from destroying the lies that live in your head. That's what happens. The lies that control your life. And we all have them. I have them. You have them. In fact, this very week, I've been wrestling to the ground some lies that I carry around in my head from my history. And don't you know, that's how it always works. When I plan to preach on it, I'll be tested on it. We all do. We all do. And the devil doesn't have any more than one or two tricks. <laughs> right? He just drags junk up from your past and says, oh, you'll never make it. Oh, this will always be the way it's going to be and you'll never, you'll never be any better than this. That's his lie. The lie to try to control your life. But how do we destroy the lies? How do we get the truth into us? How do we hold to Jesus' teaching and thereby discovering and knowing the truth? We just read it a minute ago. We just read it. Go back. Are you guys still with me? Go back, go back to, the other, to the verse we just read. John 14, 16 through 17. See if you see it. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. <gasps> the person who dwells in you has all the truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth that knows, that understands. The Holy Spirit is the way we receive the truth of Jesus. It's the way we receive the truth of Jesus. That's what Jesus told Nicodemus. You've got to be born again. The Holy Spirit receives the tr helps us receive the truth of Jesus and experience his freedom. Freedom from the slavery of sin. Freedom from our past. Freedom from the hurtful violations of others. Freedom from the habits and the patterns and the addictions that we've had. Freedom from unforgiveness and bitterness. Freedom from whatever has a grip on your soul. That's the work of the Spirit. Check out these amazing words from the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 3, 17 through 18. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces reflect the Lord's glory, or another translation says contemplate 
the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. I love that part because what it means is there's a little bit at the beginning and then it keeps getting bigger. There's a little bit of glory and then it, you get transformation and then there's a bit more of God's glory and then it keeps growing and there's no end to that growth. It's ever-increasing, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, I want you to open your mind and I want you to open your heart to the power of this scripture and its incredible implications for you and me. And I want you to memorize this axiom. Some of you have been around to hear it, but I wanna wanna bring it to you again. Freedom is not the absence of something, but the presence of someone. Freedom in your life is not the absence of something, but the presence of someone. Most people, they think about freedom from the perspective of bondage. So they think about it in these terms, which is not necessarily a good perspective. If a prisoner thinks of freedom as the absence of bars, well, then he is mistaken. Because the bars got there for a reason. If we think of freedom as the absence of anger, or the absence of depression, or the absence of addiction, we've already gotten ourselves stuck. The Bible defines freedom very differently than this. If we think, we think that freedom is the absence of bad habits, or the absence of wrong thoughts, or the absence of emotional states, the problem is, the problem is when we, when we approach it this way, We start to function out of our own willpower and our own strength. If we could just get those things out of our lives, then we could be free. And when you start to approach it like that, our focus becomes ourselves. Instead of trying to get closer to the one who can set you free. You gotta get closer to the one who can set you free. Because you can try all you want, to kind of rid yourself of these things and it will be so difficult. We get fixated on the ability to rid ourselves of fears and failure and foolishness instead of focusing on the one who is with us by the Holy Spirit. So how can we describe freedom? Freedom is the confident state of heart and mind which comes from knowing that Jesus is with me and for me by the Holy Spirit. He is with you and for you by the Holy Spirit. I was having the biggest pity party last night. I was, you know, I'm, I'm ramping up to this message and I, I know the implications of it and, I'm, and it was like every fear and weird thought about my life and about where I am right now and about our church, it was like all these negative thoughts just pelting my mind and my heart and my soul. Pastors are people too, I don't know if you know that. And just at the time, the right time of vulnerability, the devil will try to come and convince you of all the wrong things, of all the lies. And he'll bring it back, and this is what he does over and over again, and I'm old enough now, I know it. But it doesn't mean I didn't throw a little tantrum or pity party, and my wife saw it, and I just vented it to her, and then I said, okay, I'm going for a walk, and I went on a walk, and I, and I, and I walked three miles, and that whole way, 
I just came to this point where, Lord, forgive me for just believing those things. Forgive me. I, I know that these aren't true things. I'm listening to the lies of my own voice and the lies of the enemy's voices. And all it took, some of you are gonna freak out about this, all it took was me admitting it. All it took was me saying, Lord, I see what's happening. I see what's going on. And I'm, I'm sorry that I gave in to that. I receive your will. Because everything that I was thinking, I get stuck in this, in this mindset loop. And the loop is, has to do with the idea that, um, you know, everything bad is going to take over. And that scenario, when you think about, when you let your mind go to the worst case scenario, guess what? God's not in that scenario at all. Because God's not into worst cases. Worst case scenario is actually you don't let him be involved. But if he's involved, there's no worst case scenario. <laughs> There's only the best case scenario because the one who is the creator of all things, the one who can recreate, the one who can reimagine, the one who can restore and renew every heart and every soul and provide for whatever you and I need is working. Not only is he working out here and around you on stuff, but he's working in you and sometimes that's the hardest place to get him to be able to work. He's not avoiding it, but we avoid it. And so when we, when, we, when we give in to, to the work of the Spirit within us, when we realize that he is not against us, when we realize that wherever the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom, that's what happened to me. And it doesn't take a three-mile walk or run. Everyone rejoice. <laughs> but you should take the run anyway. It's good for you. Second thing, the Holy Spirit is also the source of transcendent personal peace. Transcendent personal peace. L look at how Jesus describes this verse, a few verses down from where we just were in John 14. He says in verse 26, but the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Thank goodness, because I so easily forget what Jesus said. How about you? He reminds you of what Jesus said, and then verse 27, he says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. Jesus is promising peace that can settle a troubled heart. But he's, look how he's saying it's gonna come to you. It's gonna come from the advocate. It's gonna come from the helper. It's gonna come from the one that he's leaving with us, that lives within us, that brings us peace, that goes beyond our understanding of what is happening around us. It's a peace that can't be taken away, a peace that the world can't give. It's a peace that comes from the Holy Spirit. So you see, and here, I want you to remember this too, peace is not the absence of anxiety, but the presence of an advocate. You're going to wrestle with anxiety, so am I. We're going to wrestle with things because we live on a broken planet in a broken body. 
And what God is doing, what, what the Holy Spirit's doing is he's renewing your soul. He's renewing your mind through the scriptures, through the work of Christ, through the community of Jesus here in, in, in our church, through all of these elements, the Holy Spirit is at work inside of you and he's renewing things and he's bringing you peace if you will only allow him. One moment, decide, repent, open up, admit, confess. It is the trigger for the, for the work of God's spirit to just have his way. Here's what the apostle Paul said in Romans 8, 5, and 6. He says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds, everybody say minds, have their minds set on what the flesh desires. I know that's true. Somehow the mind is connected to all this. But those who live, thank you, those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed or told what to do. Another translation says the mind controlled by the spirit is what? Read it right there. What does it say? Life and what? The mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace? Yes, the Holy Spirit is in the mind control. But he won't do it without your permission. Control is a bad word. That's why I like these other translations. Because God is not in control. He's into relationship. He's into interacting with you and me. But once he gets permission, he comes in. Like a flood, he just overwhelms. Our minds governed by the Spirit surrender to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. There's a whole bunch of great things you can do to help your mind overcome fear, depression, or anxiety. A healthy diet, you can do you regular exercise. There's consistent prioritizing and scheduling so that you never sort of feel like it's taking everything's out of control. You can do something called the daily Bible reading. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it is amazing. You can meditate on the scripture of the day. Listen, a bunch of you guys, a bunch of you guys are living your life between your ears. It's not gonna make it. You're not gonna make it. You're not gonna be able to overcome. You live your life between your ears. And of course, why, why wouldn't it make sense that we do this? We think we can find any answer. All the information we need is at a touch of our fingers on our phone. We can look up anything we want on Google. Google is the answer. It's the key to figuring it out. You need more peace, go to Google. Wrong. See, information, information is not always the solution. We'll talk about that next week. Here's the Apostle Paul. I think he has some insight here in Philippians 4, 6 through 7. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. Now, I think Paul is giving us clues that I think are directly related to the work of the Spirit inside of us, the one who will bring us peace, the transcendent source of peace, the one who goes outside the lines of our own mind, 
and our own ability to think our problems away. People think sometimes that the Holy Spirit, there's all kinds of other ways that people try to create counterfeits. And there are, and there are even good, healthy habits that help us with inner peace. I, I don't think we should deny that. I just think we miss it when we, when we don't realize that the Holy Spirit is the source of true and lasting peace. Paul's instruction is to pray to the God who created all things who lives inside of you. So here's the rule. Talk to God about everything. Because guess what? He loves to hear your voice. Number five for us was named Owen, our youngest child. And when he was born, he was the cutest little kid and he had this little raspy voice and a little bit of a speech impediment that I never wanted him to grow out of. And he would talk, 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 talk and say the craziest things and it was so much fun. Amy and I, like, we just loved his little voice and loved to hear him talk. Now, later on as they grow up, they become kind of prepubescent whiners and that's not fun. It's annoying actually. Just like, like I don't know, there's just some, some moment where every... every Every young child kind of thinks that he knows everything and it's, it's amazing, you gotta walk through that. But even then, like I know as a parent, I loved, I loved the fact that my kids would talk to me because a little later on in teenage land, guess what happens? They stop talking to you. They stop talking to you. What a terrible thing that is when they stop talking to you. Parents, all the work in, in like raising kids is keeping an open relationship with them all the way through. And there are significant moments where you can capitalize, where you can, you can, you can encourage the dialogue. And I, I just challenge you to keep that dialogue open as long as you can, but there will always be a moment when they kind of close up because they're not sure they can tell you what's really going on inside. And it's the thing that breaks a parent's heart. And with each of our kids, there was always a moment when it would, as a teenager, there would be a, a time when they would kind of break open through something, through some struggle or something that went, was going on in their lives. And, um, and they'd come in and they'd kneel down at the foot of the bed and talk to us at 11 o'clock at night. Why 11 o'clock at night? <laughs> but Amy and I didn't care. We didn't care because I just wanted my kids to talk to me, to be open enough to share what's really going on. And when that happens, it changes everything. I want to tell you, God is interested in everything going on in your life. There isn't anything that's going on that he doesn't want you to talk to him about. And the fact that you live so much of your life not talking to him about things you think you think prayer is like limited to this little list of things that you're worried about when in reality he just wants to talk to you about all of it he wants you to talk to him about all of it he wants to share with you now how does that happen <laughs> i can prove that god sends his holy spirit to keep convincing you that it's wonderful to talk to God about everything. 
It's in Romans 8, 15 through 17. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, all right? So we're adopted into the family, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. That is a personal, very intimate term. Papa or daddy, Abba, Father, the Spirit, verse 16 says, himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're his children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. That means you have everything Christ has. Everything Jesus has, you, it belongs to you too. Don't let the lies dominate you. The Holy Spirit is there to convince you that you're his kid. Oh, you don't know what I've done, Pastor Ross. Of course I don't. But God does, and he's waiting for you, waiting for you to take a moment and repent and turn to him, turn back to him. He's ready. The Holy Spirit has a very important role in our lives, and it is personal peace. Listen, people, we live in a culture where everything is, seems to be going so wrong, so many things. Anxiety is taking over. You have the solution. And I just want you to sit here for a few moments and I want you to experience the personal peace that the Holy Spirit has for you. Close your eyes right where you are. Just close your eyes right here. As I look around the room, I... I know there are story after story after story of things you're facing and things that are going on in your life. And if you're here this morning, I want you to not just hear the truth, I want you to receive the truth. Receive the truth. His name is Holy. Holy Spirit. Jesus has paid for every sin Jesus has made a way for you to interact with God, for you to receive his spirit within you. That's what the gospel is. That's the truth of the gospel. But you gotta accept him and you gotta receive him and you gotta open it up. And, and, and that's all you have to do. <laughs> and so if you sense this morning that personal freedom is missing from your life, something else is really taking over then I want you to respond to him if you're here but you're struggling to have personal peace I want you to respond to him either one of those two things I want you to right now right here just as an act of response would you just raise your hand just like yep I'm not ashamed to say it. I need personal peace. I need personal freedom that I feel like I don't have right now. Yeah, that's so good. You guys, that's so good. Just raise your hand. Just keep it up. Just like, like, yep, kind of a surrender moment. Like, yep, this is me. This is me. It's the truth. It's the truth. And I want, I want the truth to come into me. Come on, just hold your hand up one, one more moment here. In fact, in fact, I just, I feel so moved by the Holy Spirit that I, you can put your hands down. I, I, we're going to sing a song together. And during this song, I want you to, we're going to kind of go old school here. I want you to take another step. 
and I want you to come to the front. And during this song, when you choose the moment, but I want you to choose this moment, and I want you to, it's like, it's like, it's like a way of letting the Holy Spirit in by activating your body and your mind and making a decision. And I want us to pray together here at the altar. We don't have a real altar, but we got floor and you can kneel. That makes it an altar. And so let's, let's pray and you choose and I want, if you raise your hand, I want you to come forward and I want us to pray for each other. And so Father, we just welcome you here into this place in a, in a new dimension and a new way into our hearts. We need freedom, we need truth, we need peace, we need your sense of your presence like never before. And so Lord Jesus, would you come and have your way in this place. Have your way in this room and have your way in our hearts. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.